2018. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA, and Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. Hey, Chet, Eagles Cowboys week turned out to be a big disappointment for us Eagles fans. The Sixers finally went star hunting and got a big one that will help hopefully make things really exciting. And the Flyers, they're playing much better defense which turns into much better goaltending, which turns into much better results. So, as always, there's plenty to talk about in the Philly sports scene. Yeah, can we just talk about Jimmy Butler and the Sixers, though, and skip the whole Eagles talk? I'm kidding, but, you know, we do have Kevin Riley joining us in a couple of minutes to talk about the Birds and whether they can salvage this season or not. But i got to be honest, I'm still trying to get over that demoralizing loss to the stinking Cowboys. And uh, getting back to Jimmy Butler, though, I want to mention we do later in the show have Philly.com Sixers beat writer Keith Pompey joining us to tell us exactly what the Butler acquisition will mean to Brett Brown's squad. But I know we have to talk about the Eagles. I know. Well, yeah, let's talk about the Eagles. And, and as we mentioned in the opening, the Birds came off the bye week. They were flat. They got taken to task by the Cowboys. And honestly, I think it was worse than the score indicated. It was bad. I mean, they were in the game the whole time, but you just never felt like they had control of it, even when they tied it up twice. And a lot of the blame has to go on the defense. The defense just couldn't get the job done, couldn't make the stops when they had to. So, yeah, it was just a, a game you didn't feel good about the whole night. Yeah, and I'm sure our special guest, former Eagles linebacker, broadcaster, author, you name it, Kevin Riley, will have plenty to talk about. But uh, one thing I certainly want to talk to Kevin about is what happened in the trenches? Because uh, to me, that's where on both sides of the football, that's where Dallas front seven took it to the Eagles. And uh, that's the result you get. So with that, Kevin Riley, welcome back, my man. Hey guys, how are you? Hey, Kevin. Fantastic. Other than we're smarting over this Eagles game. Oh, you and me both. You know, um, people, you know, I'm getting it from both angles here, you know, being a broadcaster and playing with them. And, you know, one of the things that uh, I talked to Coach Vermeil about over the summer when I asked him, do you think we can repeat? And uh, he said, boy, he winced. He said, it is so hard to get there. It's harder to repeat. And, you know, we talked about some things early on that the Eagles were going to be facing that you have to take into consideration. Number one, the season was four weeks longer than anybody else that was playing just about, except for a couple teams in the playoffs. So you got about 28 teams that are done four weeks ahead of you, healing and getting prepped for next year. That's number one. Number two, those four weeks that you put in are not easy weeks because you're playing against the best of the best. So there's a, a lot more physicality that goes on and more injuries and more beat-up, which takes a little longer to heal in the off season. Then you take into consideration you got to celebrate, right? I mean, you won the Super Bowl. And guys that had two or three speaking engagements prior to this a year have about 20 or 30 opportunities, and they take some of those opportunities, and that takes away from their hunger and, and desire to work out. 
And then last but not least, it's really overlooked in this, is the fact that they lost uh, Mr. Reich, the offensive coordinator, to a head coaching job, and their quarterback coach, who became the offensive coordinator. And if you ask me, one thing that's really missing on this Eagles team is an explosive offense early on in the game. And I think a lot of that comes down to game planning, especially the first 10 to 12 plays. So I'm not shocked, but I am surprised. I thought we'd be off to maybe 6-3 and three right now, 5-4 and four at the worst, but not 4-5. and five. And now you've got a game that I think is almost unwinnable coming up if uh, Drew Brees stays in it the whole way and plays even half of himself right now. Um, yeah. You know, it's amazing. This guy... I think he's 72% completion rate, guys. And that doesn't count the balls these guys are dropping on him or the ones he has to intentionally throw out of bounds. So, for five foot eleven, you know, 210 pounds and 39 years old, I've never seen anybody quite like him playing at this stage of the game. So, the Eagles got two tough ones. They got this one, and they got the L.A. Rams. They got to win one of those, and then they got to win out of their division in order to have a chance to playoffs. And I'm telling you, that's like slim and lun. Slim and none chance of getting to the playoffs, and Slim's looking like he's getting ready to walk out the door. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look good. <laughs> Kevin, I'll tell you, when we booked you to make a return visit with us, I fully expected us to be talking about the Eagles getting a statement win over the hated Cowboys and showing that the Birds are still the team to beat in the NFC East. As we noted, it didn't quite work out that way. You mentioned all the things that have you know, maybe impacted the situation this offseason and early this year, but what the heck happened on Sunday night? I, I mean, you had two weeks off. You had a couple of guys, you know, on the mend. Uh, you had a Cowboys team coming in that you know was inferior. Why could they not beat the Dallas Cowboys on a Sunday night at the link? Well, here's, here's my opinion on that. The one thing I didn't mention was the fact that the Eagles were under the radar a little bit last year. You know, they won a lot of close games. They had, I think, 16 interceptions. They've got four this year. I mean, that's incredible. And I think they came out thinking, well, we just got to do what we did last year. No, no, guys. Everybody's got you circled on their calendar. And I got to tell you, I haven't watched all the Dallas Cowboy games, but I'll bet you if I had a Cowboy fan call up, they would tell you that that's the best three quarters they've seen Dallas fight uh, this year. And we had them on the ropes, I think, in the first quarter if we could have scored. They had two field goals. Zach, Zach was, Dak was getting put on his rear end every other play. They were knocking him down. But we let people hang around. And then it looked like they were hanging around. We got a little tired on defense. You know, Jimmy Swartz, I love the guy. But, man, the four-man rush is getting old, Jim. You've got to start blitzing people. And I know we're all beat up in that secondary. And he thinks, you know, rather than, um, you know, maybe get, get lucky with a blitz here and, and get a sack. I don't want to give up a home run ball, and I can't trust some of the guys that I got playing back there that are second and some of them are third-string ball players playing defensive back. So you put those combinations together, and I don't think the Eagles were ready for the kind of emotion they would face game in and game out coming into this season, and that's a problem. Yeah, absolutely, and – Kevin, if you sat back and you took a, a big overview of the whole team, um, where, where do you start? I mean, where, where do you think is the biggest problem? You mentioned the defensive backs. The offensive line has struggled after being really, really good last year. Uh, the receivers are so-so. Carson Wentz has been pretty good. Running backs, so-so. 
Where where do you start? Well, you know, I think one of the old adages is offensive lines get old overnight, and you've seen it happen in this league. Um, Jason Peters is probably playing at about 65 to 70% of his capacity of where he mm-hmm. used to be. And still, that's not too bad, but I've never seen him getting, you know, bumped back and, and put on his rear end like he has this year. I think Lane Johnson has been hurt, and I think Jason Kelsey has finally gotten to the point where the 330-pound nose guards and tackles are really starting, to, you know, to get to him. And then they've had injuries at, at guards. So that is a problem. And, and, you know, if you watch Carson Wentz, he doesn't have that quick flick throw that you see in Drew Brees or Mahomes out there in Kansas City. Um, Wentz has got to wind up a little bit. And that's an extra, you know, third or a half of a second where guys are getting to his arm. How about the throw he made, though, with a guy hanging all over on him? On him? i got to yeah. give the guy credit. Yeah. That was incredible. But he does wind up almost like a pitcher you know, to get that ball out there. And when he lets it go, boy, I'll tell you, it's a bullet. But I think the line is a problem. I'm not real impressed with our linebackers, guys. I got to tell you, uh, Jordan Hicks is having an okay year, but he made some real fundamental, you know, miscues in the Dallas game, not covering the tight end, you know, quick enough. He let the back out of the backfield catch the ball. And they're not tackling well as as a team, Uh, linebackers or defensive backs. And it really shows up when you got a guy like Elliott. And wait till we get to Gurley with the, with the Rams. These bulldozed runners are really giving the Eagles secondary and linebackers problems tackling. You know, you don't have a Dawkins in there that sends a guy backwards. You don't have, you know, some of the other uh, linebackers that send people backwards. And uh, I think that's a problem there. Defensive uh, front four is doing, I think, a really decent job. They're not all, they're not alternating. That's another thing I noticed, guys, is that teams are running quick, um, you know, uh, mm-hmm. hurry-up offenses on them so the Eagles can't get people into the game. I've seen uh, Cox take himself out of games once or twice this year, tapping himself on the head. And you never saw him do that before, but that's because he can't get out to get, you know, relief. And he's got, you know, to tap on the top of his head and sometimes take, you know, during a timeout that he gets out. So, you know, they got a whole year of looking at the Eagles on the game field, too. They're not fooling anybody like they did last year. So I think a lot of it has to do with coaching, but definitely they've got to do a better job of tackling. I think you'll see going forward they'll start to, you know, uh, come together a little bit more offensively. But I hope some of these guys come off of injury. Um, Jernigan is supposed to be able to play this week. I don't know how healthy he is, but let's hope he does. And, well, the other little mystery to me is why didn't we use Tate a little more last week? I don't I get that. I was just going to ask you that. Long ball. I would have thrown the long ball just to loosen up that Dallas defense. Yeah, they just they made the trade for Golden Tate during the bye week. He had a full week of practice ahead of the Cowboys game, yet they targeted him just four times, two receptions. Why was that? And Do you expect to see Tate become a bigger part of the offense going forward? You know, I think that they, uh, in that game particular, and I love Zach, I mean, I love Zach Ertz. I think he's the best tight end I've seen uh, in an Eagles uniform since Pete Redslap. And, uh, but, you know, Wentz is starting to drop back and only look in Zach's direction because he knows he doesn't have the time and he's not making his usual reads. So I think he's going and looking for Zach right away and letting the ball go. You can see that, boy, he's throwing some pin uh, – 
you know, some pin kind of plays, uh, throws that are just getting into to Ertz. Ertz almost like, looks like some of these catches he makes, he sucks them into his body. He's well covered sometimes, and sometimes he's only got to step on a guy. And they are really, you know, making a great connection, the two of them. But he had 16 targets the other night for a tight end. You know, that doesn't happen very often unless you're Gronkowski. Yeah. Hey, Kevin, what do you think uh, as, as football's evolved and, and the run-pass uh, RPO now, the run-pass offense, uh, you like it from an offensive standpoint or you think it's more or less going to turn out to be a gimmick type of deal? Well, you know, um, I learned this a long time ago from sitting around watching some film with Jaworski. You know, people come out with new offenses and then, it takes a year or two for defenses to catch up, but it seems to happen. And then, you know, uh, you know, the West Coast offense was a big deal for a while. And then Chip Kelly came in and thought he was going to revolutionize things. And, you know, there's uh, that, that um, chess match that goes on between offenses and defenses. I think these offenses right now um, have uh, the upper hand, and I think a lot of it has to do with the uh, – you know, the talented uh, quarterbacks that are out there that are really athletic. I mean, gosh, back in the day that I played, there were a couple guys that could get out of the pocket. Now almost every one of these guys can, you know, run on you and, you know, get loose and extend plays. And I think that leads to the RPO. And also you see a lot of these teams now using, you know, more than one running back in a game. It's almost with the Eagles, they'll use three, you know, the three-headed monster. And uh, I, which I don't like, guys. You know, nobody ever tapped OJ or John Riggins on the shoulder and said, "Hey, we're gonna we're we're gonna relieve you right now. We're rotating." Those guys would have told you to stick on this and rotate it. You know, they wanted to run the ball <laughs> twenty and twenty-five times. But and I think you know, Deuce Daly makes those decisions. You got a guy that's hot at running back, and you take him out. Gosh, you know, I understand guys being fresh, but there's something also about a guy getting into a rhythm. So it's a really different offensive set right now, and I think the offenses, you can tell by the scoring, they're way ahead of the defenses right now. And I think a lot of guys that were really real, would make really, really good defensive backs are playing wide receiver, and the guys that aren't real good wide receivers are playing defensive backs. I don't see the athleticism in the defensive backs league-wise like there used to be. Well, Kevin, you just touched on it. The Eagles do have you know several running backs. They use all of them, but – not a whole lot as far as actual running. I think they had, what, 14 or 15 called runs the other night. Why is Doug Peterson so hesitant to run the ball? Well, when you get behind like they were and your, your main weapon uh, and you start to rely on Carson so much, I think is, you know, indicative. But I've always been told when you have a new offensive line or you're putting in second-string guys like they are, that the easiest thing for them to do is run block. You know, the harder thing is to pass block. So I don't quite understand that strategy except they were behind a lot in the game and had to catch up. Um, you know, uh, Adams, I thought, was in a groove there, except, he, you know, he didn't make the uh, fourth and one call. But I thought he was running the ball fairly well, and he's got a little bit of power, and then all of a sudden they take him out and they stop running him. I don't understand some of the offensive stuff. And, you know, there's uh, an old saying, too, uh, about the fog of war, and I think that, uh, Doug might be in a little bit of the fog of war this year with the way people are coming out at him and him trying to, you know, pull these offenses off like he did last year. He got away with a lot of stuff last year that people have just, you know, started to uh, defend from looking at film from a whole year. 
And I think that he's struggling with that. I think he misses his offensive coordinator real bad. Yeah, and, and Kevin, as a follow-up to that, uh, because I was going to ask you pretty much the same question Chet did, just did, do you feel like the the run-pass ratio is as important as we used to always think it was now that they're doing the RPO, where you may be calling a run pass, run play and end up throwing, and they're doing all these dump-offs and quarterbacks are throwing for 70% all this. Do you think that's still an important guide number that you got to run the football Regardless, maybe just line up and run it. Well, you know, I, I think in this game here, uh, when if, if you can do the RPO and you can get up quickly, you know, like some teams do, and it's 14 to nothing, uh, unless you're really patient on the offense and you've got a guy like Gurley or, or, or Elliott that you really know is going to break one here or there, you know, if you give them to him 15 times in a game, then you're hesitant to do that. You want to catch up. And I think people get caught up, and the next thing you know, they go, oh, it's the fourth quarter, and how many passes have we thrown? I think it just, you know, kind of sneaks up on them. Uh, but, um, you know, the RPO has I – I wouldn't want to be playing linebacker at that position right now. You don't know if the guy's going to run. You're on your heels. and You know, you don't know if they're going to run the ball or pass the ball, and you've got run first. That's your, that's your responsibility. And pass second. So next thing you know, you're starting to say, well, you know, they're going to throw it more than they're going to run it, and it's third and six, and they're not going to run it here. So, And you're on your heels, and next thing you know, because you're on your heels and you're thinking pass, you got Elliott coming at you full speed on a, on a draw or, or on an RPO, and you're just not going to be able to have that stance and that position, you know, to effectively tackle him for a lot, you know, to make him stop him right where he is. And I think – that combined with the fact, guys, nobody practices tackling in practice anymore. So if you don't get in the game, I don't know what you're doing. And I can see, you know, tackling, not just with the Eagles, but across the league, has really deteriorated because they don't practice it. Yeah. Do you have a follow there, Bill? No. Nope. That was a while okay. ago, Chet. Okay, uh, Kevin. In Chip Kelly's final season with the Birds in early December, a four and seven Eagles team went up to New England. They shocked the Patriots, a thirty-five twenty-eight Birds victory. Is there any shot of this year's Eagles surprising all of us by going down to New Orleans this weekend and beating Drew Brees and company? Well, anything can happen. You know, anything can happen. And boy, I'll tell you, if uh, I wouldn't want to bet on it because Brees is in such a He's in such a, uh, a good zone right now. Um, you know, I can remember Richie Gannon. I don't know if you guys know this, but I was one of two, got three guys that were part of Richie Gannon's uh, management team. We were his agents. And uh, I can rem- and Richie and I become pretty good friends. And I can remember him telling me when he was out in Kansas City, I think it was his eighth year. If you remember, he took a whole year off because he had a bad shoulder. And he came back as a free agent with Kansas City. And he got to play some at the end of the season. And he said to me, you know, I was playing, you know, part-time, and I started quite a few games, but I was a backup quarterback. And he said, but the eighth year, for some reason, I started to see the whole field for the first time in my NFL career. And he said, you know, it's amazing. He said, the only thing that I can even liken it to is when you're in first grade and you go from reading words to reading sentences and you have a breakthrough. He said, I had a total breakthrough of being able to see the whole field. So, you know, I think some uh, guys go through that concept. And 
Um, right now, I think Wentz is probably seeing about a, a half a field. Um, and that was indicative the other night of the interception he threw because he never saw the linebacker coming underneath. So you look at a guy like Drew Brees, and I think he's at that point where he is seeing not only the whole field, but he's so confident of being able to pinpoint his passes. He throws these beautiful passes. Uh, he knows when to put mustard on it, and he knows when to lob them. Uh, and Aaron Rodgers is pretty much in the same category uh, with that. And both these guys have so much confidence. They want to be in the football game when they have to make a comeback. They want to play that role, and they do it very well. And I think Carson's got the same kind of attitude. I just don't think he's got some of the players around him right now that can make that happen, especially the offensive line. Hey, Kevin, one final question I have for you. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, I know in, uh, you know, from when you start Little League all the way to professional football, every day defenses talk about turnovers, 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 create them, make them happen. They're different in the games. Uh, what happens when you, you know, you get in a situation like this where this defense is just struggling to create turnovers? They're, um, how, do, how do you fix that? I mean, it's not, certainly not the mindset. They know what they need to do. How, how do you create that stuff? That's a great question. You know, one of the things that happens to you mentally out there when you're struggling is don't let me make a mistake. That's not the way Deion Sanders would look at it. He had a saying that when that ball's in the air, it's as much mine as it is the offensive receivers. And so when you've got that mentality, I don't want to be the the goat, you know. I don't want to be the guy who lets up this big score. Uh, You're not even thinking about turnover. You're just thinking about keeping that, you know, receiver away from the ball or – holding him to, you know, a catch underneath. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but I'm appalled at the way the cornerbacks play 8, 9, 10, sometimes 12, year, 12 yards off the ball with the Eagles, and their first step is backwards. I mean, there's just so much uh, open space and cushion in some of the patterns that our defenders are running, and I think that comes from being cautious. And somewhere along the line, you got to say, you know, to heck with this. Um, I'm going to start looking over my shoulder when I see the guy's eyes get, get wide and see if I can make a play on the ball. How many of these balls hit these guys in the back of the helmet because they're just t- chasing the receivers? And the other thing for the linebackers, you've got to start reading the eyes of the quarterback. You've got to have confidence that, you know, your instincts are going to take you to where he's looking finally, maybe not initially, but finally. And uh, the other thing is you've got to be uh, making tackles if one guy's got a hold of the guy bringing him down, the other guy should be trying to rip that ball out. I mean, we got enough people doing it to us. So there's no magic in creating turnovers. It's just I think turnovers come with confidence, and we don't have a defense that's playing with a lot of confidence right now. All right. Hey, Kevin, before we let you go, uh, tell us about the book and how are you doing? You're still doing your promotional speaking. I know I see that all the time. Uh, the book's still going great. Christmas is coming, Book's by the way. going great. My speaking engagements are growing great. I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember Arthur Godfrey, but he had a saying, oh, yeah. get it while you're hot, baby, because you're cold <laughs> for a long, long time. <laughs> yes, so, sir. <laughs> I'm out there. Uh, it's been really, you know, with, with the Eagles winning and the Villanova winning, I've just had uh, the best of both worlds there. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, initially sold out the first edition of the book uh, on November 22nd and it's coming back out hardcover, and I've added two chapters. 
one about the Eagles, one about Villanova, and the things that those two teams had in common. Uh, there were a lot of things they had in common, and I won't, you know, be a spoiler here and tell you what I, I came up with, but I will tell you this. The end result is, as I got to the end of doing the comparisons on how many things they did equally well and, and uh, did uh, uh, kind of together, is that, you know, at the end of the day, the MVP of the Super Bowl was Nick Foles, and the MVP of the NCAA tournament was Dante DiVincenzo. And both guys happen to be second-string players, which I think points out that, you know, and that's never happened. Uh, I think it points out that when you have a team full of guys that really don't care who gets the credit and pull together, you can make almost anything happen. And so that's a little bit of the philosophy that I, you know, covered with that. And um, so that will be available November 23rd. If anybody's looking to get it, just go on my website at kreilly.com. And we've got a whole process that will be set up to order them just in time for Christmas. And I'll be autographing them and personalizing them for people. Fantastic. All right. Now, you well, guys, hey, i got to tell you, you got to put, you guys, i got to tell you now because i got the date. you got to put June 18th down on your calendar. The, 20, <laughs> All right. the 28th. Uh, Dick Vermeil Golf Tournament Classic is going to happen again. It's going to be bigger and better than ever. I don't know how much bigger we get it. They're going to throw us out of Downingtown Country Club if it gets much bigger. But well, you we'll know, probably the have somewhere in the area of fifty celebrities coming this year. June eighteenth, got it. You know, you know the owner. I think you're safe there. Yeah, that owner got in trouble one time for not having enough towels in the, in the uh, locker room. Let me tell you, <laughs> and it was by his old coach. Uh. Hey, I, I hate to tell you this, Kevin, on the way out, but uh, Michigan 44, Villanova 17 at the half. I'm watching it. I got it turned down. We are getting, you know, it's, this is what happens when you have youth. And yeah, that's right. The night. All right. All thanks, right, Kevin. Kevin well, hey, thanks, as always, for joining us. And uh, come back anytime. All right. You guys have a great Thanksgiving, all right? You too, all right, Kevin. You too, bud. All right, buddy. Bye-bye. Oh, what a great guy. What a great guy Kevin Riley is. And let me tell you again about the great folks at the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorn. You know by now they have daily lunch and dinner specials and happy hour deals. They also have that free buffet Friday nights at 11 p.m., which is a terrific idea. In addition, there are always 24 beers on tap, something for everyone. And they've got some cool events coming up. They have trivia games every Wednesday evening at 8.30. They have a DJ on Friday nights, plus that free buffet at 11. They have live music on Saturday nights. This weekend, it is the band Spare Parts. It all happens at the Irish Rover Station House on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorn. You can find them on the web at irishroverstationhouse.com. I'm ready. All right. Hey, Chad, if you're looking for insurance in the tri-state area, we've got the spot for you. All-state insurance in Westchester, PA. Yes, sir, Bill. Uh, it is true. One of the best benefits of having an all-state insurance policy is getting a local agent like Dave LaVoy, who is dedicated to you. Building that personal relationship means you can work with someone who knows you and understands your family's needs, someone you can call when you have questions or need help. Dave is dedicated to protecting what's most important to you and your family. Click on the Allstate banner right on our Philly Press Box Radio website, or you can call Dave directly at 610-430-0700. Again, it is Dave Lavoy, Allstate Insurance in Westchester, 610-430-0700. 
All right. Hey, Chet, let's talk Sixers and their big trade that brings Jimmy Butler to town. Butler makes his debut tonight. Before we, but before we do, I want to bring Fred Hugo in a little early tonight to get his Sixers take as well as yours. Fred, Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, Fred. Thanks for having me. Doing good. Right. Doing good. I'm excited. <laughs> hey, Chet, uh, I want to ask you guys, before we get started, you, you had a chance to um, sit down with Keith Pompey today. I'm certainly interested to see what he's got to say, but I wanted to get both of your take before we hear from, from Keith, because Fred and I both haven't heard yet, uh, get your take on this trade and what the Sixers gave up and how much do you like it? I like it a lot. I think it's awesome. I mean, I hated to see Dario go and yeah, even Rocco to an extent. They were two you know, valuable guys, key parts of the process. Um, I was a big fan of Dario, as you know, and I would have liked to have maybe seen him somehow be able to hold on to Dario, but it didn't happen, and you had to make the move. If you can get Jimmy Butler for that deal and have you know some modicum of an insurance that he's going to re-sign with the team, I think you had to make the deal, and I'm excited to see how he blends in with Joel and Ben and the rest of this team because I certainly think they're a better team now than they were a week ago. Fred, what do you? I'm 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 so excited. This whole this whole process thing started with, you know, you tank. To, the only way you can win this league is to have superstars, and the whole process was you tank. You, you hopefully you hit on a couple picks, and then you have enough cap room or enough assets to acquire another star or stars, and that kind of got muffled along the way, in my opinion, with Brian Colangelo. But this was, no matter how much you love Dario or Rocco, these were good players that you were able to move to bring in a superstar. And, man, I'm, I'm excited. You got, you got a big three now. You got an open roster spot to add another here, either now or at the trade deadline. It's going to open up everything offensively. You know, Ben had a lot on his shoulders, being that he, he can't shoot now. He can't score from the perimeter whatsoever. So this is going to alleviate some of that. And then these defenses aren't going to be able to just sag down and double and triple team Embiid. He was still dropping 30 plus with that, but now you got Butler out there. It's uh, I'm I'm very excited. It's going to take some time to 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 get going. You know they're going to win games, but I don't know by by January February I, we're going to be contenders to win the East, no question. Well, let me let me ask you this: um, as we're sitting here right now, I just pulled this up. I'm not watching it, but. Uh, on the floor for the Sixers right now are Embiid, Simmons, Butler, Reddick, Chandler. How you like that? They're the starters. That, yep. They yep, are. That's the starting five. Yep. That that's what yeah. their their stat folds down and, and I'm I'm not sure. I was watching some of it before I got on. They looked a little uh disheveled as start as far as learning each other, but I like that they put Fultz on the bench. I don't know how he's gonna work in the rotation, but you definitely gotta go with them five as your starters. It's going to be going to be fun. Be be a little more interesting, Chet. That forty six might might turn out to be a little low. We'll see. But hey, we, we Chet, as we mentioned, you had a chance earlier today to to visit with Keith Pompey. We appreciate Keith taking time to join us for sure, and especially on a game day. Uh, tell us about that, and uh, let's hear what he had to say. Always great to talk to Keith. He is uh, down in Orlando, of course, with the Sixers, and he did find ten minutes for me today, and. Uh, Let's go right to the interview. This is me and Keith earlier today. 
Joining us to talk 76ers basketball and particularly their big weekend acquisition, the Sixers beat writer from Philly.com, Keith Pompey. Keith, how are you? Hey, man, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Good to hear. All right, Keith, we got the news over the weekend. The Sixers would be getting that third star player finally, acquiring Jimmy Butler from the T-Wolves in exchange for essentially Dario Saric and Robert Covington. What does the addition of this 6'8 swingman, a four-time all-star, mean for this year's Sixers? You know, I mean, you know, it kind of elevates them a little bit, but I also think that uh, it could benefit them for the future, and I think that's part of the reason why they went after him. Yes, you know, right now you look at it, they're the top, one of the top three teams in the East. You know, they want to be number one. They want to be number two. And, you know, he could help them. But I think more, more so this move is going to benefit the Sixers like next year where they don't have to go in free agency and bring in another top-notch guy. So you're assuming they will be able to resign him without a problem? I do. I, I think that and okay, when you give up Dario Sarge and you give up Robert Covington and Jared Bayless, I mean, at this particular time, these are three of their best assets for a guy with an expiring contract. You better do your homework to see if you can resign him. And I think if they didn't have a, a sense that they would be able to resign him, this trade would not have been done. All right, so Dario's gone, Rocco's gone. Two starters are gone, just one coming to Philly. We see the lineup for tonight, the big three, plus J.J. and Wilson Chandler. Who benefits on the Sixers now in terms of more playing time, and is this the ideal starting five? You know, I, I think it is right now. I mean, you know, who knows? They may try to go in, in regards to the starting lineup. They may try to go out and, you know, go get another big man. But when you look at Wilson Chandler, you know, he's a guy who can be like the role player, so to speak. I mean, you have three superstars, you have a shooter in Reddick, and you have a guy who's like a lunch pail type of player, and that can be Wilson Chandler. Now, one guy who I see benefiting a lot from this is Mike Muscala. I see him being, you know, a nice stretch four for the team coming in, getting threes when they're running. I also see Furcon Korkmaz, as long as he's here. You know, he's a guy who basically wanted to be traded because he felt like he wasn't getting the playing time. The Sixers didn't pick up his third-year option. But at the same time, he played the last two games and had was had, like, back-to-back career night. So I think that he's going to benefit a lot from this. Hey, you mentioned in your Sunday article that Butler can sometimes be ball-dominant, I believe the phrase was. Is that a concern? You know, it is. I think it kind of sort of is, but I also think it's one of those wait-and-see type of things. But at the same time, so, like, it's a wait-and-see to see how is he going to do it here because he's saying when he was at the last team, Minnesota, that's what they wanted him to do. But at the same time, you know, I think that they like the fact that at the end of games, they'll have they have someone where they can spread the floor, go isolation, or someone they can run pick and rolls, you know, with. So, in a way, it might be a curse, but at the same time, it's a blessing. Now, out of the starting lineup is Markel Fultz. What do you make of the falling out between Fultz and his former shooting coach, Drew Hanlon? And what is Fultz's role now that uh, Butler is here and Fultz is no longer starting? You know, I, I think the fallout between his former shooting coach is sad. You know, I, I feel like, you know, the former shooting coach hyped Markel folks up so much in the summer 
And when you look at it, you realize that, you know, I mean, you look at his performance, you realize he's nowhere close to being where, where his trainer said he was. Now, you, you go and you talk about on Twitter, because he hyped him up so much, the shooting coach was getting criticized on, on Twitter. So what does he do? He comes back and says Markel is in health, and then he deletes the tweet. So that looks to Markel like, hey, this guy basically threw me under the bus you know, making it seem like, well, I didn't get any better, so here's the reason why, to protect his name, you know, the shooting coach's name. So I think that's what Markel feels. In regards to his new role, when you really think about it, yes, he was the shooting guard, but he only played like five minutes, started the game, you know, five minutes, and then it was J.J. Reddick time. So I'm under the impression that, you know, he's not going to get that. He's not starting but his role is basically going to remain the same. He's going to be the backup point guard. You know, he may lose five minutes, you know, a game because of that. But I think that his role is going to be the same. And if I'm Markel Folks, you know, right now, I want to say, hey, I'm a running offense and I'm going to play great defense. Because right now, that's what he has to do to maintain, you know, that backup point guard role. Yep. Keith, refresh my memory. What was your Sixers wins projection total for this season, you know, before it began? And what does the Butler trade do to that prediction? You know what? I don't even know if I had any. I mean, I may have thrown something out there. I don't really do that because people always look at schedules and say, oh, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. We don't know. Like, Mm -hmm. no one knew that Jimmy Butler was coming. Here's the thing about the Sixers. They want to be a top top one team. They want to finish first or at least make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. My thing is, they were so far behind the Boston Celtics, the Toronto Raptors, the Milwaukee Bucks, to whereas I have to see them play a little bit and I have to see them play with Jimmy Butler to see if he can propel them over those teams. Because let's face it, they got whipped in all three of those games. So it's one of those things like right now the Sixers have the third best record in the East, right, because Boston is struggling. But I have to see it before I can say, oh, they're going to win X amount of games. Yep, that's certainly something we're going to keep an eye on. Final question, Keith. How good has Joel Embiid been this season? And, like, if he doesn't get MVP this year, he'll definitely get it within the next two years. That's how good he's been. You know, some people you can argue that, yeah, I see Joel scoring a lot of points, but the scoring has been up this year, you know, early on. But the way that he's dominating opposing big men and the way that they're like they can't guard him, I mean, that's the biggest thing. Like Andre Drummond, he's into his head. You know, uh, other guys, it's kind of like they start out and they're strong, but next thing you know they get in like this early foul trouble and they can't do anything against them. So Joel is just uh, he, he's unstoppable on the post. Now the, the only thing is the Sixers have to continue to keep feeding him the ball because sometimes – you know, he doesn't get it as much as he should. But as long as they keep feeding him, as long as he doesn't want to be Joel Embiid, the three-point shooter, you know, I think that, you know, he's going to maintain averaging close to 28, 29 points a game this season. You got it. Keith, always a pleasure. We'll talk to you on Philly Press Box Radio again this winter, I'm sure. Take care. Hey, man, thanks for having me on. Hey, Chad, I'll tell you what, one thing, or Chad and Fred, one thing that I take away from there, a lot of things I take away from there, but one thing is that uh, 
Keith's got a little fire in his voice. He's, he's got a little excitement. You know, I know he's he's got to be kind of neutral, but uh, you could you could hear it. Oh yeah, you got to be excited about these changes, and I can't wait to uh, you know get home and watch the rest of this Sixers game tonight and see what happens over the weeks and months ahead. But speaking of exciting, Bill, here we go. Hey, it's fantasy football time with our resident expert Fred Hugo. Fred, we got to give you the, we got to give you the intro introduction. Just have to do it. I love the music. I love the intro. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Well, let's hit this fantasy football. Tell us what's going on. And we'll get to our picks. All right. So I'll start with uh, the waiver wire again. Uh, Cooper Cups out for the year. It looks like so. Josh Reynolds will now be the starter in his spot for the Rams. He might be a waiver guy you want to grab. Maurice Harris has filled in as a wide receiver for the Redskins, leads them in catches the last two games. He might be a guy that's out there as well. It's it's very bare at this point of the year, at this time of year. Unless there's an injury, it's going to be tough to find someone. Another running back, he's a rookie, Rashad Penny, actually had a 12-carry, 108-yard game for Seattle. I would imagine they would like him to eventually be the guy, so maybe going on the rest of the year, he might be a guy you might want to add. As far as uh, players currently on the rosters who I like this week, any Kansas City Chiefs or St. Louis Rams skill guy, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, I would start this week if you have them on your roster at some point on the roster. That's going to be a high-scoring game, yards everywhere. The Rams defense is okay, but they're they're not they're, – you, as you saw against the Saints, they, when you got a high-powered offense going against them, they're not really going to stop anyone. Um, I think there's there's a lot of scoring there. At quarterback – I like Andrew Luck against the Titans. He scored no lower than 28 points in his last six games. He's pretty much back to the Andrew Luck we used to know. I like Carson Wentz against the Saints this week. Um, the Eagles offense, um, the, well, I, just, I want them to pick it up, but besides if they get it together or not, the Saints just don't have a great defense in general, and I, and I think that that's going to give points for Wentz as a quarterback. I also like uh, Marcus Mariota against the Colts. He's had back-to-back games with 25-plus. I think he'll he'll continue on that trend. Moving over to running back, I like Saquon Barkley against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Saquon, he had kind of an off week last week, only about 67 yards rushing. I'm not sure how he did receiving, but he only had about 12 points fantasy-wise. I think he's going to get back to his normal stature and, and go off this week against a bad Tampa D. I like David Johnson of the Cardinals against the Raiders, and I also like Christian McCaffrey going away in Detroit against the Lions. At wide receiver, I like Michael Thomas against the Eagles. On top of struggling, the Eagles secondary is very banged up. Um, I think Michael Thomas will will have a good day. I also like Tyler Lockett of the Seahawks uh, versus Green Bay. I like Golden Tate. I'm assuming that the Eagles will try to get him a little more involved this week against the Saints. I like Golden Tate. And then I also like T.Y. Hilton um, versus the Titans. At the tight end spot, I like Jordan Reed of the Redskins versus the Texans. And then I also like Evan Ingram versus the Buccaneers. Also, I, I just realized this as I'm saying it, Ben Watson of the of the Saints as well. He, he should have a good day because he's kind of the second option there for them. So that's another tight end you, you could start. As far as defense goes, matchup-wise, I like the Cardinals defense matched up against the Raiders. And then I also like the Panthers defense against the Lions. And that is all I have for fantasy football this week. All right. Good stuff as always. 
All right, let's make our predictions. It's that time again. Chet, how did we do last week? I think somebody took the New York football Giants. We all had horrible weekends, kind of like the Eagles. But, yeah, Bill's was less awful than Fred's and mine because Bill did correctly pick the stinking Giants to win a game, that Monday night game. And, yeah, they did just that. So, Bill was one and two for the weekend, while the other two bums, Fred and me, were a perfectly imperfect <laughs> oh and three. Yes, indeed, <laughs> oh and three. We are good. So for the season, it is now Bill stretching his lead, 21-16 and 16 in the top spot. I'm three games back at 18-19. and 19. Yeah, back under 500. Fred is four back now at 17-20. and 20. Let's fix that this week. Woo, let's get back. That's, that's not good. All right, here we go. This is, we got five games this week, so a chance to make up ground. Tampa Bay at the Giants. Giants minus one and a half. Houston at Washington. Houston minus three. Dallas at Atlanta, Atlanta minus three. Monday night football, this is a throw-in. Kansas City at the Rams, Rams minus three and a half. And last, the Eagles are at New Orleans. And how about minus nine, Saints? Wow. Go ahead, Fred. Tampa Bay at the Giants, Giants minus one and a half. I actually, with your pick last week, I actually ended up betting the Giants. I I won some money even though I lost on here. But (laughs) – um. I was like, you know what, Bill? I have a feeling Bill's going to be right here, and I, I, I took him. But anyway, this week, I don't know who to take. I was dead set on the Buccaneers bet, beating the Redskins last week. I don't even know what, what team showed up. I looked at the over-under. It's around 52, so I can imagine there's going to be scoring. I'm just going to take the Buccaneers here in, in a high-scoring game, 30-28, to 28, let's say. Yeah, again, this is a tough one to pick, but I, I just can't imagine the Giants winning twice in a row, so I took the Bucks. Yeah, the Bucks are almost as bad as the Giants, uh, but the Giants stink, and I'm going to go Tampa Bay, but I wouldn't be surprised the Giants win that. All right, Houston at Washington. Houston minus three. Interesting line there, I think. Yep, Houston minus three, and I, the, the Buccaneers somehow couldn't get by that depleted defensive line or offensive line of the Redskins. I'm sure the Texans – uh, defensive line is going to get through there. So I think the Texans will win this. It'll it'll be fairly close because the Texans, though they have some weapons, don't seem to be able to score as, as much as, as you would think. I'm going to take the Texans winning this 24-17. Well, just to keep uh, the Eagles' faint hopes alive, I have to root for the Texans this weekend, and I think they will beat Washington even though it's in Maryland. Uh, Texans will win it. Uh, not so fast, my friend. Redskins are going to win this game. And I like J.J. Watt, but Redskins are winning this game. All right. Dallas at Atlanta. Atlanta minus three. Yep. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Dallas, they obviously beat the Eagles last week. I think the Falcons have more weapons. And uh, I think they're going to be able to get to Dak pressure with their defensive line. I'm going to take the Falcons to win this 31-20. Big day for Matt Ryan. The Falcons win. I'm hoping the Falcons win, uh, but I never seem to be able to figure them out. So I'm going, I'm going Atlanta at home with the minus three, but you know, I'm just not sure. They, they never seem to be consistent enough for me. Okay. All right. Kansas city is not in Mexico against the Rams. They are in LA against the Rams Rams minus three and a half. You would think the Rams would have a home field advantage, but they don't because their fans don't show up regardless. So, um, both high-powered offenses. I, I'm going to just take the Chiefs here. I, I, I think they could beat the Rams. The offense is just unstoppable. 
I, I, I'm going to go Chiefs. Yeah, I have no idea how this game is going to turn out. Um, I, I was going to say the same thing Fred said, that there's really no home field advantage playing out in L.A. So uh, I just think the Chiefs are playing really well right now. I mean, the Rams are certainly playing well, too, but I'm taking the Chiefs to win. Yeah, I am, too. Uh, I'm, going, I'm going with Andy Reid. I'm hoping he dials one up and uh, wins this game on the road. So we'll find out. And, and Fred, what, what was your pick? What was your pick, Fred? Uh, Chiefs. Chiefs. Okay, we all got the Chiefs. All right. So the Eagles go to New Orleans. Saints minus nine. On the road, the offense looks awful. The defense is banged up. I don't see any way I can logically pick the Eagles to win this game. They're favored to lose. They're not favored. They're dogs by nine. But for some reason, my gut is telling me that they're going to – everyone's picking them. Everyone gambling-wise, the percentage is like 99% taking the Saints. And based on that, I'm just going to say the, the other side's going to hit, and I, I'm going to pick the Eagles to win in an upset in New Orleans. Whoa. Whoa. All right, listen. I'm always going to root for the Eagles, but the Super Bowl champs just haven't shown up this year, and they've given me no reason to think that's suddenly going to change when they go down to New Orleans to face the hottest team in the league, which is also number one in the current power rankings, too. I just don't see it happening. Sorry, Fred. Sorry, Eagles fans. I predict that at halftime around 6 p.m. Sunday, a lot of folks will flip over to a classic episode of The Love Boat on MeTV. They have one this uh, weekend. Guest stars Peter Graves and Van Johnson from uh, 78. <laughs> Drew Brees is already licking his chops thinking about this game. Saints 52, Eagles 20. Sorry. <laughs> They're certainly not watching The Love Boat, though. <laughs> Holy cow. Holy cow. Sorry, guys. Well, not so fast, my friend, Mr. Chesko. Oh, boy. These Eagles have, as Kevin Riley said, and I was going to say as well, must win one of two. This one or the Rams. And as Fred said, nobody thinks they have a chance. Well, there's one thing about the NFL is there's a small difference between how good some teams are and the other team is. But... The other thing is there's a lot of pride in this league. And I think the Eagles are going to come out. They're going to play extremely well. And they are going to beat the New Orleans Saints on the road. Right it Whoa. Down. The two of you. I hope you're right. I really do. I hope I am right dead wrong. Write it down. Well, you won't know because you'll be watching the love boat. The six o'clock Sunday. Yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I hope not. Hey Fred, we've got we've got a film or a a video clip or a, an audio clip forever right there with the love boat. <laughs> Go watch. All right, picture, Fred, Fred. We appreciate you coming by, and uh, let's do it again next week. Sounds good. E A G L E S. Eagles. Yeah. There you go. Hey, Chet, let's give a shout-out to the PPCC 118 Raz Room. They post great sports memorabilia on their Facebook page so people can take a chance of winning something they may not be able to buy or afford or have access to. All items come with certificates of authenticity. They've continued to run out great autograph memorabilia from all the Philly sports teams and more. There are only 21 lines available, so your chances of winning are 1 in 21. Pretty good odds. Check out their Facebook page. Like it or follow it. It's PPCC118RASROOM. That's right. It's PPCC118RASROOM on Facebook. Hey, Chad, as always, you lined up great guests. Tell us who's coming to Philly Press Box Radio next week. Well, he confirmed today. I uh, exchanged messages with him this morning. He was here 
the night before the Eagles kicked off the season, back in early September, he is the head honcho at Bleeding Green Nation. He's one of our favorite guests. Brandon Lee Gowton joins us next week, Bill. Very good. Looking forward to that. I bet he's going to have some good things to say, especially after this week when you're watching Love Boat, you'll get caught up on the game. <laughs> hey, I hope I'm wrong, I'm telling you. Oh, that's right. Hey, Chet, Flyers came off a nice West Coast trip, got some rest, turned around and lose a close one last night, 2-1 to one, to Florida. They're now 9-8-1. Safe to say they're playing better hockey, though, I think. Uh, you look at them and you think they need to score more goals, but then statistically – which, for what they're worth, they're tied for six in the Eastern Gold score. Not that bad. I think they've made marked improvement over the last five or six games. Yeah, ever since they went out west, they certainly have played better. They've been in every game. Uh, they had a little winning streak there. They lost a heartbreaker last night. Elliott, I guess, played pretty well, though, a 2-1 to one defeat. Um, yeah, I don't know what to expect from this team. It's still early. I don't really study them a whole lot in November, as you know. Once we turn into uh, January, then I'll start watching a little more closely. It's a long season. Uh, I don't know, but I know a lot of guys are playing well. The, the G-Man's doing okay. Um, we'll see. So uh, talk to me in January. Yeah, well, we will see because I think uh, at one point what they may have to do, unless they can get healthy, um, you know, and get JVR scoring a bunch of goals and Wayne Simmons scoring a bunch of goals. Uh, they're going to have to make some sort of offensive move, I think. But I think they've got so many young players and the kids are starting to play a little bit better and uh, they're squeezing that defense a little bit more and that certainly makes the goaltending better. Yes, sir. Hey, one quick thing, Bill, while I think of it. Um, I wanted to get your reaction to this. At the end of the first half of the Eagles game Sunday night, a half that saw the Eagles put up all of three points, the fans at the link booed pretty loudly, and this is what Al Michaels had to say about it. So, a lot of booing. Well, it's Philadelphia. What have you done for me lately? Forget the Lombardi. What have you done for me lately? It's Philadelphia. Forget the Lombardi. What do you think of that? Well, I didn't much think of it. Uh, you know, I mean, they played lousy. You play lousy, yeah. you, you get booed. That's, that's how it goes. And uh, I don't think the players expect anything differently. You, you know, that. What, what have you done for me lately? You stunk up the first half. Exactly. Just because they won the Super Bowl, which was great, it doesn't mean you can't be critical when they play as poorly as they did in that first half. So I have no problem with them booing. No, I don't either. And, you know, that, that whole Al Michael or all of them about the booing is like the snowballs at Santa Claus. Get over <laughs> it. You know, yeah, we are what we are and uh, get over that. You know what I'm saying? Carry on, Bill. All right. Well, do you have a parting shot? We're getting close caught up, and uh, we're ready for parting shots or crap we've missed. Yeah, uh, we had another busy show, but again, we missed a lot of crap, too. Some of the crap we didn't get to, Bill. The Minnesota Twins' Joe Maurer retired last week. Not only is he a career 300 hitter and likely Hall of Famer, he's also one of those rare guys nowadays who's played his entire career, 15 years in this case, with one team. The Week 11 Monday night football game, a much-anticipated battle between the Chiefs and Rams, was supposed to be played in Mexico City. We actually did mention this. You did when we talked about the picks. The field's turf, though, is such a mess that the NFL has moved the game to the L.A. Coliseum. Why was the Estadio Azteca field a mess? A couple of soccer games and a wild Shakira concert last month. Hips don't lie. This college football matchup ain't what it used to be, but this weekend... 2-8 and eight, UCLA, coached by that Chip Kelly, battles 5-5 five and five USC. The University of Southern California to the uninitiated, as a certain listener of ours might tell everyone. I don't say this often, but go Trojans. 
And speaking of the Trojans, the Buffalo Bills routed the New York Jets last Sunday, and their quarterback, who threw for two touchdowns and 232 yards, was none other than Matt Barkley, who's been on at least five teams in his illustrious NFL career. The Bills got him off the scrap heap, and he somehow looked like a pro quarterback for once. Go figure. That's all. Well, I got a couple things we missed, too, Chet. And uh, how about a little Phillies baseball in November? The Phils replaced their pitching coach. I'm sure you're upset about that. Rick Kranitz <laughs> is out. Chris Young is in. Uh, same, another guy from the organization. So, uh, I don't know how big a surprise that is. But Kranitz is out. And they went with a younger guy, 37 years old versus 60 years old. Hey, Chet, another thing. Martin St. Louis. Remember him? Pretty good hockey player along the good way. Good hockey player. Martin St. Louis, an undrafted free agent, makes the team, becomes a Hart Trophy winner, leads the league in scoring, wins the Stanley Cup, and he can now put Hall of Famer next to his name. And St. Louis' comment was, and I thought this was fantastic, for all the kids out there listening, follow your dreams. Believe in yourself. When it seems like all the doors are closed, look for a window and find a way in. Congratulations to Martin Saint-Louis. And, Chet, one other thing. Did you see Monday Night Football, a tight end for the San Francisco Giants named George Kittle? George is actually pretty good, and uh, he's got some pretty serious numbers going on out there in San Francisco. But – the thing that George did the other day, because they were celebrating Veterans Day in San Francisco, he took the time to go down the entire list of service people on the field to shake every single one of their individual hands. Hats awesome. off to you, George Kittle. And that's the crap I missed, Chet. And uh, this just in, Jacob DeGrom is your NL Cy Young Award winner. Scherzer second, Aranola a distant third. I'm not surprised there. All one right, other thing, Mr. Bill. Jim. One other thing. Uh, let me Go get ahead. this in. We have, I have one minute to get this in. My real job, Bill, as people may or may not know, is I work uh, for Compass Media Networks doing financial news. And I did this story just about an hour ago. Uh, this is something to keep in mind if you want to buy me something nice for Christmas. So here is 40 seconds of me, if I can find it. And here it is right here. I'm Jim Chesko with Your Money Now. Let's raise a glass to this news. Drinkworks, a joint venture of Keurig and Anheuser-Busch, this week debuted its first product, the Drinkworks Home Bar. Similar to the Keurig coffee maker, the machine uses pods to make cocktails, beer, and mixers, even mojitos and Long Island iced teas. The Drinkworks Home Bar costs $299, a four-pack of pods, about 16 bucks. The bad news, the machine and pods, for now, are only available for customers in St. Louis both through an online pre-order or at select physical retailers. Customers in Florida and California can pre-order the machine for delivery next year. There you go, Florida. So order me one of those, Bill. Yeah, I will. They pay you to do that. (laughs) Yes, they do, believe it or not. (laughs) The good gig I got going here. You know it. Hey, with that, we've reached the end of our hour. I'd like to thank our special guests, Kevin Riley, Keith Pompey, and Fred Hugo. Our sponsors, Irish Rover Station House. Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com, PPCC 118 Razroom, and Dave Lavoie of Allstate Insurance in Westchester for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chechesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show and won't join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, November 21st at 7 p.m. You can also find our podcast on iTunes, TuneIn's, and Google Play Store. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. Go Birds! Philadelphia!
Philadelphia Eagles are Super Bowl champions. That's it. 